to the Ridge Life Podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. If you will, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. We're going to be looking here, uh, specifically a couple verses here, primarily verses... um, 10 and 11, and if you're just joining with us, we've been looking at uh, the book of Philippians and seeing what God has been showing us as far as where our joy comes from, having this unity, having joy in Christ, and uh, Paul's been talking about some things here um, Most importantly, uh, here in Philippians 3, we looked at this whole idea of the difference between those who are false Christians, those that were counterfeits. These people were the Judaizers promoting this outward uh, expression of faith through uh, circumcision. And Paul counters that by saying, you know, we are the true circumcision. And there was that circumcision of the heart is what uh, he talked about. And uh, so it's important to understand that uh, as a believer in Christ, that if we've had that circumcision of the heart, there needs to be a growth process that takes place. And we touched a little bit on some of that uh, last week as Paul talked about losing all in order that he may gain Christ. Everything that he gained in life, he counted it as nothing but uh, dung so that he may win Christ. And uh, these next couple verses here is really going to start to zone in a little bit more about our growth in Christ. Now, if you were to visit our house, you would see on our wall... Uh, there, going from the kitchen to the dining room, uh, we have a lot of marks on the wall with dates. And uh, this is where uh, we've had Evelyn stand up against that wall, and we've marked her growth. And sometimes you can see uh, times where there was a big spurt of growth and sometimes not so much. Uh, She started getting into the habit of saying, measure me today. You know, well, we just measured yesterday. There's probably not that much, right? Um, But there's been been a a measure of growth that has taken place. For those of you that uh, have children or have had children, or you can remember as a child wearing your parents' clothing around the house, you know, walking around in the shoes and the shirts and everything. Uh, you know, we want to grow up. We want to be like our parents. Um, sometimes after we do finally get older, we really don't want to be like our parents. But as a child, uh, there's this desire to be like our parents. And uh, in our text today, growth is and should be the natural part of the believer's life. But exactly how does a believer grow? I mean, we all know the, the common answers to that. We, we say, well, you read your Bible and you pray and, uh, you know, have fellowship with other believers. Yes, all those things are true. But how exactly is this growth process taking place in the believer's life? So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you for today. God desires that I know him and grow in him. 
God desires that I know him and grow in him. So let's take a look here at our text as what uh, Paul is talking about here in Philippians 3 and begin here in verse number 10. The very first thing that I want you to see here is grow joyfully through the power of his resurrection. Grow joyfully through the power of his resurrection. Verse number 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now there's that phrase again as we looked at last week about knowing Christ. Remember this knowing about Christ. It's not having facts about Christ. It's having an experiential relationship with him. You've experienced Christ. There is a real experience with Christ. And uh, so there's this relationship that has been formed and been maintained. Not just these facts about Christ, but a real relationship with the Lord. It's an intimate relationship, as we talked about last week. And that really only comes through the gospel, One must repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Uh, There has to be a turning away from sin to Christ in order to start to have that relationship with the Lord. Why? Because we are at enmity with God. Before we come to know Christ, we are at odds. We are God's enemies, if you will, uh, because we are hostile towards God. We are living in rebellion against God. And so there must be a change that has to take place. It's not going to church. It's not through baptism. It's not through communion. But there has to be a real life change in a person's life where they repent of sin and they believe the gospel that Christ died for their sins and uh, took their punishment on the cross and he died and was buried and rose again the third day and it's that message of the gospel that brings about a real heart change in a person's life and so once a person comes to know Christ then their growth with the Lord can begin. Once a person is born again, then they can begin to start to grow spiritually. They are to grow up in Christ. They are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so growth is extremely important for the believer as it is. it will mature our faith and it will strengthen us in our faith. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives this idea of, of this growth. And as we behold the glory of the Lord in the word of God, we see God for who he is. We see Christ exalted high and lifted up. And when we behold him in the word, we desire to become like him. And there's a growth process that happens uh, in our life. So here are some things here, uh, the way that Paul expressed his growth in Christ. And so he says here, first of all, through the power of his resurrection, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, no doubt about it, when we think of what Christ has accomplished amongst the miracles that he's done, the times that he preached the word, even dying on the cross, the fact that he resurrected from the dead stands paramount. You see, a lot of people have beliefs in a lot of things. A lot of people have a lot of beliefs in other Jesus. But you know, there's only one Jesus that resurrected from the dead. And that's the God of the Bible. 
And so Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, the reality of his resurrection gives credence to all that he said and done. Without the resurrection there, is there really any weight of Jesus' claims? Of course not. That's why the resurrection is so powerful and meaningful. So how did Paul know the power of his resurrection? Well, see, Paul came to know the power of his resurrection when he was struck down on the road to Damascus. Remember this? Remember as he was a, a person who was a persecutor of the church? He was one breathing out threatenings amongst the church. Um, here is Paul on the road to Damascus, and he was struck down. And there he is, and he says, Who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. There was a, a time where Paul came to know the power of his resurrection. Hold your place here in uh, Philippians. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians, just one book over. And let's revisit some of these truths that we looked at as we went through the book of Ephesians here. When we look at this, you know, we, we may have not had a Damascus Road experience where of that of a magnitude of like what Paul experienced in that, but every believer in Christ has been exposed to the mighty power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of us, in order for us to be saved, we have to have a powerful resurrection in our life. There has to be this fact of God raising us as sinners from spiritual death to spiritual life. Oftentimes people talk about salvation as if it is a person who's out on the sea and they're, they've kinda, they're out there and they're floating around and, and boy, they're, they're trying as hard as they can and they're paddling the water. Oh, help, help me, help me, help me. And just then a ship comes by and throws out a life preserver and that's supposed to represent Jesus and it saves them. That's not salvation. Salvation is the fact that you are at the bottom of the sea and you are dead. And Christ literally breathes new life into you and resurrects you from the dead. That's resurrection. So here, let's look at some of these truths that we looked at here in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number two. And look with me in verse number four through six. Look what it says here. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were, what? Dead. In our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's other scriptures that compare this uh, conversion experience of a person's the opening of their eyes from, from blindness to lights, uh, going from, from Satan's captivity to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is talking here about this powerful resurrection that I may know him in the power of his resurrection to be changed from darkness to life, from death to life. You see, all these things are not accomplished through human persuasion or through a self-improvement program. We don't have three steps to God or uh, we don't have... Uh, 
turning over a new leaf or trying your hardest to become God's best, okay? That's not the way it works. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and God resurrects us to new life. You're still here in the book of Ephesians. Let's look at another one about this resurrection growth. Look at chapter one, verse 19. I love this prayer. Look at this. Uh, He's praying for the church. He says this in uh, verses 19 and 20. You may remember this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So he raised him from the dead. What a prayer, what a great prayer that we should be praying as well for ourselves and for the church that God's work would be done in our lives and that he's resurrecting us to new life in him. And so that same resurrection power is necessary to be sustaining us as believers as we walk in victory over sin. Here's another one. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 3 verses uh, 16 and 17. Here's another prayer. Paul is praying for, for spiritual growth, for spiritual strength in the church. And look what he says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So here we have this power of his resurrection that should be at work in the believer's life. Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Is the power of the resurrected Christ a reality to you? Is it at work in your life? Is it being manifested in your life daily that you're being strengthened, that you're growing in that power of his resurrection? Romans 8, 11 says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. He means that the Holy Spirit whose power was necessary to defeat Satan by raising Jesus from the dead indwells every believer to give us power over indwelling sin. You see, we experience this power as we walk moment by moment yielded to and in dependence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the power of his resurrection. So if we live defeated lives, It's safe to say that we are not living in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 makes this uh, pretty evident. Whether we are walking in the flesh or we're walking in the Spirit, right? He talks about if I walk in the flesh, I'm going to do those fleshly things. The sins of the flesh are going to become evident. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. So it's a day-to-day living decision that we must make. Are we going to live in the power of his resurrection or are we going to not? So we must too learn to live in this type of way of the power of Christ's resurrection. Let's notice the second thing here. Verse number 10. Secondly, we should be growing joyfully, grow joyfully through the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul says it here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, the fellowship sharing his sufferings. 
Now, this one is a little bit more difficult for us to grasp, I believe, because Paul was definitely one that was acquainted with the, uh, the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Yet every believer should be as well if we are going to be living for Christ. I think this will become more and more evident as men wax worse and worse in this earth. And we see people that are just going to be corrupting and the evil that will abound. The more that you continue to live for Christ, the more that you are going to stand out. And the more that you stand out, uh, guess what? There's going to be more suffering that is going to be directed your way. And notice what uh, Paul says here in this text. He says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Whose sufferings? Jesus Christ. I think we do a great disservice by not dwelling on the sufferings of Christ. I have in my uh, office there, I have a three-volume set of a German theologian who wrote some things way back in the 1800s. And uh, each uh, book, one of them is entitled Christ in His Temptation. The next one is Christ in His Sufferings. And then the next one is Christ Crucified. And so I think we don't dwell often about the sufferings of Christ, what he experienced, what he went through here uh, in the, uh, on the earth. We don't think about those types of things. Our Savior came to suffer for our sins on the cross. We have a, a time every first of the month, the Lord's table, Lord's Supper. It's to help us remember what Christ went through, the sufferings that he went through. You know, our Savior, his entire ministry was marked by misunderstanding, opposition, betrayal, and eventually death. Now, it's true, we can never enter into those same types of sufferings like he did, but there is in a sense in which we can, as we are going through sufferings, that we should be entrusting ourselves to God. Uh, to help us, because that's exactly what Jesus did. Let me give you some scriptures here to consider about his suffering. Uh, turn over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, look with me in uh, verse 21. This is quite interesting. This, this whole book is, is an encouragement to believers who are going through suffering. But look at this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, there it is. Even when Christ was in his sufferings, what did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Look at uh, 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
Look at 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If I can try to liken it to this way, there in uh, 1 Peter 2, he talks about following in his steps. You know, we got a lot of snow out here uh, just recently. And I can remember there's been some times back in the past, I remember... uh, in uh, New Mexico, where I used to live, we went up to the mountains to go get a tree one time. And so we went up there and we're trudging through the snow and the snow was pretty deep. And I was following in my dad's footsteps, stepping in those holes where he had stepped. Why? Because I'm entrusting that my dad knows where he's going, okay? And you think about a little child stepping in those same footsteps, entrusting, knowing, well, I'm going to follow dad or I'm going to follow mom and I'm following them, I'm entrusting them that they know where they're going. And you think about this. Jesus here says that we follow in his steps. Did Jesus already know about all the sufferings that he was going to encounter? Absolutely. I mean, remember when he was there in the garden and he was praying And he's saying, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup away from me, right? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was entrusting the Lord that he knew what was best for him. Now listen to me. The sufferings that a believer will encounter or has encountered, the Lord knows exactly what he is doing. And we need to trust him and entrust ourselves to him, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on. When Peter was writing to these believers here, a lot of them had lost their houses. A lot of them had lost family members. Some of them had been taken away to prison. Many of them were being beaten and mocked. But he says, trust God for all these things. Trust him. And Paul is saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in those sufferings. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. There's a comfort that comes from suffering. That's being in a fellowship with him. There's an intimacy that we share with that. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter five, verse number eight. This is a very interesting statement about Jesus. Hebrews 5, eight. Look at this. Although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, it does not mean that Jesus was disobedient and had to learn to be obedient through suffering. That's not what it's saying. It means that he had never experienced the test of obedience until he suffered. Let's make the connection. The obedience of suffering. You see, his suffering for our sins on the cross was the ultimate test of his obedience. The ultimate test of his submission to the will of the Father. So what does this mean for us? Well, see, if we are to be like him, we must also learn to obey God through suffering. You say, what? 
Are you telling me that God allows suffering in our lives so that we may grow in our obedience and knowledge of him? Yes. This is what is so wrong with the Christian church today. That believing in Jesus, your life is great and wonderful and everything is, is, is just perfect. That's not the true, true at all. You look at the lives of the apostles. You look at those people, you read just the book of Hebrews alone. Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. All of those that died because of their belief in Christ. You see, God allows suffering to come into our lives to grow us in our obedience to him. That's why we should never shun suffering. We should never be like, oh, woe is me. Oh, my life is so horrible. God is doing something precious and wonderful. And he wants you to follow in his steps, entrusting him, knowing that he's doing what he's doing. Entrusting him that he is taking you exactly where you need to be taken to. And Paul says, we need to be growing joyfully in the fellowship of his suffering. You see, God uses suffering to burn off the dross and purify us. But we have to cooperate with him by humbling ourselves under his mighty hand when we go through trials, trusting his sovereignty over suffering and casting all our cares upon him. Listen to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. He says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties or worry, fear on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul doesn't just say knowing his sufferings, knowing about his sufferings. Oh yeah, I know Jesus suffered. I know Jesus went through some things. But he says, I want to share in his sufferings. I want to have the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, sharing or fellowship reveals a closeness or intimacy. And when believers suffer and are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, there is a special intimacy with the Lord that cannot be counterfeited. It can't be produced by ourselves because God knows exactly what he is doing. And so it's a great opportunity for us for growth. Let's do one more. I got four, but let's do one more. Thirdly, grow joyfully by becoming like him in death. Listen to what Paul says again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. A third way that we can grow joyfully is by becoming like him in his death. Now, this is actually a continuation of the thought of the fellowship of his sufferings, what he's saying here. There's a little more to it. It's becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? Becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? Well, let's get some other perspective on how God's word teaches this in other places. Uh, for example, in Romans chapter number six, it tells us that when we believed in Christ, 
When we, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we repented of sin and we believed in Christ. We were baptized into his death. Not a water baptism, not a physical baptism. It was a spiritual baptism. We were baptized into his death. We were placed in the body and the death of Jesus Christ. And so by being in Christ means that we are identified with him in his death and resurrection. So if that's true, if that has happened to you, if you've been baptized into his death, there has been that spiritual baptism that we need to live that out. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And verse 5 of that set really packs a punch behind this because if these things are true of us, in verses 1 through 4, then Paul says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Are you making the connection here? He's saying, look, if we are going to grow in Christ then we need to be like him in death. That means if we have experienced his death, we've been baptized into the death of Christ, then our life needs to be completely different now. And he says, now, verse 5, then put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, the Christian life is to be a life of constant death and then resurrection to life. Let me explain to this just for a moment. Let's just say you have somebody that may struggle with a certain type of sin in their life. We all do. All of us have sin that we struggle with. But if we have been resurrected to new life in Christ, we don't have to obey those evil passions anymore. When the call of sin comes ringing, we don't have to pick up the phone and say, hello, right? We, we don't have to answer it. So if we know Christ and there's been a death and there's been a resurrection in our life, we don't have to obey those passions of sin. And he says, put to death, therefore, those things that are earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So here's the believer. He might be struggling with something. What is he supposed to do? He's supposed to put it to death. Well, what does that mean? Well, Romans 6 really gives us some really good stuff about that, talking about how either you are yielding your body to do evil, or you're going to be yielding your body to do what's right. Jesus said it this way. He said, mortify or cut off, right? He says, if your right hand offends you, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off. Now, he wasn't really talking about practicing self-mutilation here. But he's saying, look, if there's things in your life that is hindering you, he says you need to mortify them, put them to death, kill them off, mortify them. And so as we do that, as we are practicing that, and we're not living that way, we have to say no to sin. 
but then we say yes to the Spirit, what does God do? There's a resurrection that happens constantly because we're saying no to sin. We're not going to choose to live in death, but we're choosing Jesus and we choose to live in resurrection power. And that's a constant thing that should be happening in the believer's life. And Paul says that I may know him and become like him in his death. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so as we follow Jesus, we are to be dying daily taking up our cross. This is what we're called to do. This is what a disciple is called to do. Take up our cross and follow him. It's death to self. And so it's something daily that we are supposed to do. And so as we die to self and deny our sinful passions and desires, we become like him in his death and grow to be like him. Is that your life? Is that my life? Do we desire to be like him? Do we desire to grow in Christ? This is the only way of growth that what scripture says here. And Paul outlines it very, very clear of exactly what we're supposed to do. And so I pray that you as a believer, and I pray that us as a church, that we would grow joyfully in the Lord, that we would grow to come to like him, to be like him, to know him, to know his his sufferings, to know the fellowship of those sufferings, to know about the power of his resurrection and to become like him in his death. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.